0: This podcast is about anything and everything that gets us better at making things good and good at making things better. It's called Extreme Stewardship because the first thing to say about getting better at making things good and good at making things better is that both we ourselves and whatever we're working on don't belong to us. We are stewards of what is God's, not owners of what is ours. And in a world that prioritizes getting as the ultimate good, and self as the ultimate end, that's pretty extreme. This is episode 14, where we try to stop being Gnostic. Zombie theories. That's what Larry Hurtado used to call bad ideas that keep popping up here and there, no matter how many times logic or reason or evidence or science kill them. If this were an old-school zombie-killing video game, the big bad monster at the very end of the final level would be Gnosticism. It's the most pervasive and persistent bad idea in the history of Christianity, maybe in the history of religion, and it never goes away no matter how many times we kill it. It's like a zombie hydra. If you Google Gnosticism, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, you'll find that part of the reason Gnosticism is so hard to eradicate is that no one knows exactly what it is or where it came from. It's got something to do with early Christianity, mixed with Greek philosophy, mixed with these things that scholars call mystery cults, mixed with, I think, a basic human instinct that the world is not as it should be, and we'd probably be best off leaving it all together. The basic component of Gnosticism that pops up again and again is a simple idea. There are two kinds of things that exist, material and immaterial, or you might say physical and spiritual. Stuff perceptible to the senses and subject to scientific analysis, and stuff not perceptible to the senses and not subject to scientific analysis. Nothing crazy here. Most of humanity for most of history would affirm this, except for the verbiage of scientific analysis. That's a more recent turn of phrase. But the idea that reality is comprised of physical stuff and non-physical stuff, that's pretty standard. But where Gnosticism comes in, is that there is not only a difference between these two kinds of stuff, there's also a hierarchy, a moral hierarchy between them. And what you end up with is the idea that material, physical things are by their very nature evil, and immaterial, spiritual things are by their very nature good. And that is a problem, a huge problem. It's a problem Because it would mean that a good God intentionally created evil creatures, which makes it hard to call God good. That's why some versions of Gnosticism end up with one God, an Old Testament God who created everything, who was himself evil, and another God, a good God, who is the loving Father of Jesus. This way of thinking about the material versus the immaterial world would also imply that everything I said in the last episode is garbage. It's absurd because you couldn't possibly have a physical human being named Jesus ascending into God's immaterial heaven and being given glory and honor there. That just wouldn't make any sense at all. So there's this idea, this ridiculous, anti-biblical, absurd, heretical idea, the idea that physical equals bad and spiritual equals good, and somehow huge portions of the church have bought into it. If we think of eternity as a departure, from physicality into a purely spiritual existence, we've bought into it. If we can't wait to get out of our bodies and just be free-floating souls, we've bought into it. If we think so-called spiritual work, like evangelism or pastoring, is the only kind of work that has any value beyond this present life, we've bought into it. Lots of other people have pointed this out. Like I said, It's been fundamental to the Christian faith from the beginning. And I mean from the beginning, like Genesis 1. And from the beginning of Christianity, it has been essential that God's material creation is inherently good and marred by sin. And that's radically different from saying the material creation is inherently sinful because it is material. So most of what I might say here has already been said and said better than I can say it. I want to focus on this issue in relation to our work. I want to reflect on what extreme stewardship looks like given the goodness of material creation right now and the ultimate redemption of material creation later. I suggested in the last episode that the promise of the redemption of our work is substantiated by the bodily ascension of Jesus. We are going to win the finite game between us and death, but we haven't won it yet. We have not yet been resurrected like Jesus has. We have not yet been crowned with glory and honor like Jesus has. So we live in this weird in-between time. We win, but we haven't won. And I can't think of any better evidence for this than the fact that sometimes our work works. But it doesn't always work. And it never works to the degree that we can imagine it was meant to work. This tension is caught up in some really hard questions about how much transfers from right now to the world to come, as Hebrews put it. What other parts of the Bible call the new heavens and the new earth. God is going to redeem the creation that you and I were supposed to steward. Redeem, not destroy. Romans chapter eight, verse 21. Our hope is that creation itself would be freed from bondage and brought into the glory of God's children. When we get redeemed from sin, so does everything else. The destiny of this material world is freedom, not annihilation. But what exactly makes the cut? Does the planet look the same then as now, topographically speaking? Do cultural artifacts remain like music or art or architecture? And, and if so, which ones? I don't know that we have any good answers to these sorts of questions. Go read The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis or Tolkien's Leaf by Niggle. If you want some creative and at least plausible suggestions, all we know for sure is that there's some mix of continuity and discontinuity, some combination of same and different. When I rise from the dead, it's going to be me that rises. I'm going to be different, but I'm still going to be me. And that's probably the right analogy for the redemption of everything else, too. Despite the mysteriousness of all that, I keep coming back to a more concrete question. Can I see My work now as having value for eternity. Now, one option, of course, is to go back to Gnosticism and say that spiritual work has eternal value, but nothing else does. A better option, I think, is to see all work as leaning into eternity, though maybe in a variety of ways. I I think maybe, look, I'm pointing a dirty flashlight into the fog here. We know so little about the mechanics of eternity and human life in it, but I think. Given what we do know, I I think it's reasonable to look at all the work we do as practice for the work we are going to do after the finite competition with sin and death is over. Take art, for example. Whether painting or drawing or musical composition or the written word of some kind, any artist can tell you that the goal is to put your imagination on paper or canvas or whatever because we have to get bad ideas out of our heads. So that later we can formulate good ones. It's called practice. Good writing is rewriting. You probably heard that one from your English teacher a few thousand times. You have to write a first draft so that you can throw it away after you've written a second draft. That first draft doesn't last in the sense of being handed in, but it was still a necessary step in the journey toward the final version. Except, in this case, don't miss this, there is no final version. At no point does the work completely stop. I'm not talking about human work under the conditions of the fall, as though there is this perfect level of every human endeavor, and because of sin we can't quite reach it, but in eternity we'll all just be there. That's not what's going to happen. What is going to happen is that our process of improvement will be uninhibited by sin, but the process of improvement won't be over. That's the whole point of the story, right? God created us to improve his creation, and that's what we're going to do. Remember the infinite game? It's really infinite. That means even in eternity, we are never going to stop improving creation. The work is never going to be done. And if that's true in eternity, how much more so now in this life? The work is never going to be done. And that is a good thing a freeing thing. It frees us from the pressure to hurry up and cross the finish line so we can retire and do nothing. It frees us from the boredom of feeling like there's nothing left to do, like there are no more worlds to conquer. It frees us from accomplishing a goal and wondering why we aren't as fulfilled by that accomplishment as we expect it to be, because there's always more. When we succeed, there's still more work to be done, and that's good, because it leads us to keep acting like stewards instead of idolizing our achievements. When we fail, there's still more work to be done, and that's good, because it helps us move on rather than stewing on our shortcomings. Right now, our work is harder because of sin, and our specific works, those rough drafts, they're going to be discarded. But they're still good practice for eternity. Agriculture? Practice. There are going to be gardens in the new creation. Art. Practice. We are going to be more creative, not less, in eternity. Exercise? Practice. Not because the studs in this life remain superior physical specimens in eternity, no. But because God designed us for physical health, and a human being fully alive, healthy, finding their limits and pushing past them, this is improving creation. This is taking the money that the Master has entrusted to us while he's away and putting it to work, in anticipation of his pleasure in that work when he returns. Exercise is a great illustration of how sin can hinder our improvement of creation, whether by laziness, or sickness, or ignorance, or injury. It's also a great illustration of how sin can take what is good and twist it into God. Little g, God, a.k.a. an idol. When I was in high school, basketball was my idol. If I was going to do some other activity, it had to serve that idol, or else I thought of it as a distraction from my worship of that idol. If I exercised off the court, whether running or lifting or whatever, it was for the sake of getting better at basketball. Physical health served basketball. As I grew older, not so much taller, which is maybe relevant to this story, a shift occurred where what I really wanted was to be physically healthy. And basketball was one means to that end. Basketball served physical health. Now that I'm even older and hopefully wiser, physical health serves a greater purpose, stewarding not only me, but also stewarding my family. I want to teach my kids how to work, how to take care of their bodies, how to exercise. I want to be physically capable of serving and protecting my wife. I want to be strong enough to do certain tasks around our home. I don't play much basketball because given all the circumstances, that's not the best way to accomplish the ends that I have in mind. It would be the wrong tactical move given my strategic goals. Stewardship is the strategy. Physical health is the tactic. And basketball at this stage of my life isn't part of the equation. Now, I haven't got the first clue if physical fitness will be a thing in the new creation. Certainly, it will look different from what it looks like right now. But I do know that right now, Physical health is a means to a set of ends that aren't going away. Now and forever, my body is essential to my work as a steward of God's creation. And I do know that the proper relationship between means and ends is fundamental to all work, and so at a minimum, treating my body well now for the right reasons is not only good work in the present, but also practice for the good work that God has for me in the future. I do wonder about certain kinds of work that are by their very nature limited to this present life. It's only because of sin that we have courtrooms, funeral homes, intensive care units, militaries. On the one hand, we do indeed need these things and we need the people who work in them because of sin and death and all that. On the other hand, a world without sin will be a world without war, for example. Maybe it's enough for now To say that some of our human vocations anticipate eternity, while other vocations remind us why eternity is worth anticipating. Maybe farming says, Here's a broken yet valid instance of what we were created to do and what we will do when God makes all things new. And maybe grave digging says, Here's an illustration of the brokenness that reminds us why we so desperately need God to make all things new. Both cultivating life in the field and facilitating death in the funeral home improve creation in the present and both direct our attention to the future even as both remind us that we have not yet arrived at that future. The frustration of living in the moment is that we know there's something better, but we can't have it yet. The joy of living in the moment is that we get these glimpses into that mysterious and wonderful something that is us working as creatures with our Creator, improving creation. When I work, I feel His pleasure. I know this feeling. I don't experience it all the time, for sure. Life is still a slog, and I'm still a sinner. But there are these moments where I realize that I am doing precisely what my Creator created me to do, And I can't help thinking in that moment, I've had a glimpse of eternity, an eternity of being with God, working with God, resting with God, enjoying his creation and improving it as his steward. So this podcast has been about anything and everything that gets us better at making things good and good at making things better. And my hope is that it has provided you with some tools for doing just that. Your Creator has gifted you with good and meaningful work, and even though that work is frustrating and unsuccessful and painful at times, even those moments are tactical opportunities to advance our strategic objective of improving creation with our Creator, and to lean into our expectation that one day, all creation will be freed from bondage to sin, and we will again be crowned with glory and honor, and invited to freely and fully steward the works of God's hands. And that is going to be pretty extreme. Thanks for listening to the Extreme Stewardship Podcast. My name is Michael Kibbe, and I teach Bible and Theology at Great Northern University in Spokane, Washington. My behind-the-scenes partner in this project is my brother, Ben Kibbe, our editor-in-chief is Anna Lee Stockton. Art comes from Leah Lienhautz. And of course, music is provided by Dave Murray of Derridoon Guitars. If this series has been helpful or challenging to you, or if you've got a story about extreme stewardship that you'd be willing to share, shoot us an email. stewards at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You are, of course, welcome to like and subscribe and tell your friends and all that. What we really care about is that you have gotten better at making things good and good at making things better.